Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, I'm joined by our friend, freelance writer, TJ Hafer. Hello. And we also welcome back, once again, our friend, freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. So, it's time, gentlemen. Uh, we, once again, have a new Paradox uh, Development Studio strategy game before us, Imperator Rome. Uh, we've been playing around with the review build for a couple weeks, and it just released uh, late last week, and people have been playing it uh, over the weekend. By the time you hear this, another week will have passed, uh, but I think it's time to sort of gather our own tribes, uh, to consult with our own Senate, <laughs> and see what we make of uh, this this brand new Paradox game uh, that is entirely new and owes very little to to any other games and certainly couldn't be called, <laughs> uh, you know, EU Rome 2 or anything like that. Uh, so real quickly, I guess to, to start off, um, you know what? I'll start off because I actually have a f- question that frames this a little bit and I'm curious what you guys make of it. Okay. When I started off playing Rome, because of course I started off playing Rome because that's the name of the game, it's it's history I know pretty well, it seemed like a line of play that I would understand pretty well, I have to admit that this thing felt a lot to me like a stripped down European Universalis. And that's when I was like, oh shit, this really does feel like uh, EU Rome again, but it's a different franchise now. And I'm curious if any of y'all had that same reaction and whether and whether in your cases that reaction persisted beyond that initial like that that initial feeling out phase with the game. Early on it did. Early on it definitely felt a little bit bare bones and, and like there wasn't as much meat on it as I would have liked. But I did find that the longer I played it and the more I kind of started to understand the nuances of how warfare works now with the various like stances and terrain modifiers and just the layout of the map. Um, the more I started to understand like the inner workings of the factional politics, whether that's, you know, senatorial factions in a Republic or the clan chiefs in a, in a tribal society. Um, I started to like it more and more, um, which is why I think it's starting to become, Already my number three and possibly my number two paradox game, um, because it's very similar to the arc that I followed with Crusader Kings, which is my number one, where I really did not click with it for about the first 15 to 20 hours. And then my my enjoyment followed an upward trajectory the more time I spent with it. Whereas with EU4, it was more like, yeah, there was a little bump at the beginning and then it stayed pretty even. And then compared to something like Stellaris, where like the more time I spent with it, kind of the less I liked it. Um, so uh, I definitely can see why people are getting that impression. But I do think if you spend a good solid, you know, I, this still sound ridiculous to some people, but a good solid 40 to 50 hours with it uh, is kind of where that click moment happened for me. That's really fascinating to hear you say i think specifically because (laughs) um this clicked with me almost immediately uh oh yeah i mean aside from a sort of short period of time where i was trying to figure out what the new war system was you know how a battle works and all that um but i sort of immediately was like oh okay i get this this is this is europa universalis and also there's some mechanics from crusader kings and a bit of stellaris in here and 
I get it now. Let's do this. I know what to do. Uh, and I never played EU Room. I, that was a skipped game for me. I just never got around to it. Uh, so it's interesting to hear you say it took you a while. I I don't know, Rob, how long did it take you to click with this thing? Uh, basically until I played my first, like when I when I really clicked with it, it was when I played my first Barbarian game. That's the weird thing. Really? This is the weird thing that I was not expecting with this game. Because <laughs> uh, I'm the barbarian think, guy, and I don't think they work very well right now. <laughs> yeah, but I think they... So this is the thing. Uh, I think this game has some has some issues, and we're going to get into them. But I think... Let me, let me put it this way. At first, I was very sort of tickled by how familiar a lot of it was. It felt very much like I had less learning to do with this game than I've had to do with just about any other Paradox game, right? Because I played the others, and so at this point, it's using all the Paradox sort of uh, UI grammar and just design outlines that I think we're pretty used to at this point. But the thing that was missing for me, particularly, particularly with Rome, playing as Rome, but I think this is also true of a lot of the more uh, powerful like Mediterranean empires... I sort of had this existential uh, crisis with the game of like, why am I doing this? With Rome in particular, I hit a point where it really did just feel like I was a child coloring in uh, a coloring book. Except in this case, the, the coloring book was Europe. And there was no reason to do it except that it felt nice. And that is a... That's a framework that already makes me kind of uncomfortable in 4X games, because I think, you know, therein lie a lot of uncritical assumptions about imperialism uh, yeah. and and warfare and, uh, you know, who counts and, and who doesn't. But I think even boiling it down just as a game, when I wasn't at war, when the lesions were not marching on people, I did not find that there was a whole lot that was interesting for me to do. Uh, governing Rome... Basically, that thing just kind of ran by itself. Uh, I'll build, <laughs> sure, I'll build a few more buildings. Civilization seems like a good thing to build. What, markets or civilization? Cool, sounds great. Uh, no weird assumptions in that. Uh, slap a few <laughs> more of these babies down. And the problem was, like, once I would do that, it was so easy for me to run out of stuff to do as the governor of Rome is sort of the god emperor, sort of guiding the Romans to their historical destiny. And so then I'd get bored and I'd be like, well, I guess... Jupiter, Optimus, Maximus. Yeah, I guess yeah. I just have to go kick someone's ass. And there was no reason to do it except that uh, there was simply not enough to hold my interest as just being the governor and administrator of a really powerful Mediterranean state. And I think that's a problem. In an just like world. the real Roman Empire, though, in many ways, right? That they run historians, of, it's true. historians still question why the Romans were such aggressive imperialist expansionists. It, there's so few real justifications for so much of what they decided to do. Um, and I think that's a fascinating reflection in this game. I don't know. I I feel like there's there they it does throw you some incentives. The thing is they're not necessarily existential incentives. Um like one thing that I really liked as far as organically creating reasons for expansion uh in in this game is 
the fact that uh, it's the only way to get more slaves, and slaves are pretty much always the backbone of your economy. You can't really create an, an emancipated society. Um, Unless you're a freedom-loving tribesman. Oh, you Just totally can. Living their life. Really? You can really, be, you can be disgustingly I'm, rich off of trade. Well, you can. You can make a lot of money off of trade, but as far as like your your baseline economy, it seems like you're you're always wanting to import more slaves. I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just an asshole. For, no, I think uh, <laughs> I think you're 100 percent right. And looking a at lot the economy of the game that way, yeah, is based that way. Well, no, hold you're on, not, you're not wrong. There's actually yeah. so there's a lot of concepts here that we're starting to dig into that are uh-huh. sort of core to the game. Like what what is what is Rome? And I think if you're familiar with the paradox game, to a degree, it is that familiar. Uh, coloring in the map province by province. Uh, there are elements of Crusader Kings, uh, a stripped-down Crusader King, certainly, uh, and a, maybe a slightly less graceful interface for it in some senses, but... Um, slightly? You, know, you have... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you you have a lot of fa- like dynastic politics, families, friendships that you have to track that, that will matter in some societies more than others. Uh, but yeah. in terms of what is what is what this game is like saying about like how this world works, what are its, what are its core assumptions? Uh, I think we almost want to begin with just the building blocks of society as it lays out, uh, which is it does this really interesting thing where there's four broad classes, uh, there's four types of pop basically, uh, population units, and at the lowest level, uh, as TJ animated, are slaves. And you largely acquire slaves through warfare. Uh, you conquer you conquer provinces. Some of the populace is destroyed through the ravages of war, and some are shipped off to become slaves. Um, above the slaves, you have tribesmen uh, who are almost like on a parallel economy like tension like tribesmen kind of exist in tension with the rest of your society and we'll we'll discuss yeah. that a little bit more later but uh tribesmen are useful they do generate uh wealth and value um but at the same time like they do they they don't fit in sort of the direction that a lot of the developed uh empires in this period are going then you have freemen and then you have citizens. And citizens are, again, the idea here being that the concept of citizenship itself is kind of an exclusive one in this period. That this idea that there is a civic life of a nation and a nation that should have civic life is kind of a singular feature of, again, a lot of these more advanced empires uh, and city-states around the Mediterranean. But if you go into tribal lands, for instance, citizens are really few and far between. You don't have like extensive merchant classes or bureaucrats or any of that. What you have are loads and loads of tribesmen uh, and a few freemen and basically no slaves until all hell starts breaking loose. Uh, that's what you'll find in Gaul and Germany, for the most part, uh, to, to start out the game. But that is kind of like when you when you zoom down, like what are you governing in this game? What you're governing over are these provinces filled with these pops. Uh, TJ, you want to talk about like what the four <laughs> the four yeah, estates well, of Rome do? It's it really is it it lines up fairly well to medieval demography, which is something I've done quite a bit of reading on. Where it's almost you can almost track it directly down to like the the slaves are the people who work, the freemen are the people who fight, the citizens are you know in in medieval times it would be they were called the people who pray, but they're the people who administrate, they're the people who 
uh, who are the you know the kind of thinkers and um, bureaucrats of society. Um, whereas you were talking about tribesmen earlier, kind of don't fit into that, which is interesting because it's almost like if you have a tri- a society of just tribesmen, it it interest has an interesting way of modeling a more egalitarian, less stratified society where they each provide a little bit of everything except for research points. Like they provide a little bit of manpower, but not as much as a freeman does. They provide a little bit of production, but not as much as a slave would. Um, so it's it's almost like when you're, when you're sieving up your society, when you're trying to progress towards civilization, you're saying, okay, no, you are going to specifically be part of the fighting class, and I'm going to place you into that box, and now you specifically can only do that, but you can do that more efficiently than you were back when you were a tribesman or whatever, which is kind of a an interesting way to model the social changes that take place when you have a, a tribal society making the transition into more of a stratified, localized, uh, what we would you know think of in classical western education as as a civilization um yeah it's a lot of the game seems to be around balancing out how many of each pop type do you want to have you kind of have some leeway where you can uh you can promote a lot of citizens if you want research to be your main focus but then if you're doing a lot of expansion that's going to bring your you know your research back down as you're assimilating all of these less civilized lands and uh you know if you're running out of manpower, you might need more freemen. Um, it even ties into the the whole uh, mechanic with civilization level, where your outskirts, your fringes that have a low level of civilization, this abstract value of civilization, freemen and citizens aren't going to want to live there. But by the same tack, tribesmen don't want to live in your imperial core, where you know they they have to wash their hair and you know. Uh, go to temple every every week or something like that so well and that's and that i think is maybe the other and this is an interesting tension in the game that the classes even though they're useful they all have their uses the problem is also the type of society you're in affects their happiness uh what you have how you have developed a province and the empire more broadly affects their happiness and so i think like it you know interesting problem for instance if you are sitting there being a tribesman for instance like me and saying i know for a fact just the trajectory of this game history in this period that rome or somebody very much like rome is out there and they are going to eventually come for me right like they're gonna they're gonna cross out of the balkans or they're gonna cross beyond the alps and then they're gonna be here and there's gonna be a lot of them and they're going to be way more powerful uh you know Soldier for soldier than me in, in in a lot of ways, and my solution was okay. Well, I can start civilizing these guys. Like I have, you know, I have two hundred years of forewarning. Really, uh, maybe not quite two hundred, but a good, yeah, you know, a good century here of forewarning to really get my shit together. Start carving out uh, a modern modernizing uh, German Empire. And that all sort of works, except the problem is that just as your strategy begins to snowball, as, for instance, you're making all these little choices, you're building marketplaces, and those contribute to the rate at which your, uh, you know, your, your, your core is starting to achieve higher civilization levels. You're also making government decisions to increase centralization. Again, very familiar from EU, where the trajectory here, you know, history is uh, states become more and more centralized. Here we are seeing that echoed again. Uh, so you're making lots of choices 
to centralize and civilize your your country. And that all seems to be working. But once it starts taking on a momentum and now civilization is actually really on the move, you're no longer having to push it up the hill against all that resistance that you have to as, as, a, as a tribal leader. Then you realize, wait, I've still got a shit ton of tribesmen here and they're angry. Like, yeah, because they don't like, again, as you know, as you alluded to TJ, uh, this isn't their model. This isn't their, this isn't the society they want to be living in. Um, perhaps justly so, right? Like, cause what you're, what you're eventually trying to sell them on is like, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to have like loads of slaves and a bourgeoisie. <laughs> you're going to, it's going to be fantastic. We're all going to make a, well, not we, but like some of us are going to make a lot more money. Anyway, point is would be more powerful. There's that in this game, but it's a cool tension where you realize you've now just tried to socially engineer an entire people and they don't love it. And now just as you're about to maybe start flipping over into that uh, more advanced category of Civ, you've got a lot of pissed off uh, citizens, uh, not citizens specifically, you got a lot of pissed off tribesmen who with every step now you are taking in the direction of becoming like, uh, you know, the, the Macedon of the North or whatever, um, they're getting less and less happy. And that's causing unrest that can sort of either be the, be the tinder that will itself, like, you know, burst into a conflagration, or it will be gasoline on other political tensions. Um, and I think that is, I think that's an interesting tension, right? That is an interesting thing to yeah. be sort of resolving, particularly as a tribal leader, but also if you're one of those Mediterranean empires and you conquer a huge swath of, you know, what you what they consider like barbarian territory, and your solution is, well, time to start civilizing these guys, you are letting yourself in for a lot of trouble over a, a generational time span. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful model of the time where the, the time in human history where the concept of society uh, just went completely to shit. <laughs> Speaking as the uh, the barbarian uh, of the uh, of the triad here, but does it balancing that happiness? Balancing there's also ethnic and religious divisions in this game. Again, very familiar from. Uh, okay, well here's actually here's the thing. So one of the other things you can do to create harmony harmony in an empire is as you conquer people from other ethnic groups of other religion like families of religions uh you can and probably should start trying to convert them to your way of life at some point uh just because the whole poly you know heterogeneous polyglot empire thing is tough to pull off in this period and it creates a lot of baseline friction uh that you have to deal with but ideally would not be dealing with because everyone would be a happy little roman this is familiar from EU because in EU you can engage in some long-term uh, social social engineering or arguably uh, abstracted ethnic cleansing. Uh, the game like EU was not ambiguous about this when they're talking about like, hey, congratulations, you've eradicated uh, a language and culture. Um, that doesn't just happen because you like threw threw up some like really banger schools, right? And everyone <laughs> is just like, man, the Ottomans yeah. are great. I love this. Um, and yet that does feel like what's happening in Rome. It's weird. No. It's so push of a button. And I don't yeah. know how I feel about that. Well, I think it, it might have something to do with the fact that you're converting individual population units, 
So it's it's not like you have a province and it's like okay yeah. there you know there are uh people there 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 are Irish people in this province and I clicked a button and now they're English people which leads to questions about like okay what happened to the Irish people did they just become English whereas an imperator like you have this discreet pop who's like Illyrian and I'm going to push a button and he still has the same job and the same religion but he's a Roman uh, Hellenic Illyrian or a, a Roman Hellenic Freeman now instead of an Illyrian Hellenic Freeman. So it does kind of give you more the impression that the people are just adopting your culture rather than you're you're straight up replacing them. Yeah, so I find it really fascinating that you can just click a button and make people change culture. And I'm not sure how appropriate it is to the time period. Or if it's really appropriate because it mimics what the people of the time period thought they were doing a lot of the time, if that makes sense. The Romans liked to invade places and then Romanize them. And that meant different things in different places, right? Like, it meant something very different in Greece and Anatolia, where the Romans invaded and they co-opted the existing infrastructure of command and they got as much of the ruling class as they could to sort of start doing things the Roman way and recline while eating on couches and take lots of slaves and have giant plantations. Um, whereas, like, when the Romans invaded Britain, they invaded Britain effectively by just importing a bunch of excess population from the Italian peninsula. And it's it's two very different processes by which a place was, like, was Romanized. Um, and it it does feel oddly ahistorical to just sort of make a population be your culture that was already there uh, and the colonization mechanic of of there are there are places on the map that have a culture and they have people who live there but they're not part of an organized nation as it were like a larger organized tribe or what have you they're effectively unconquered territory um you can uh, if you have nearby provinces that border them with uh, a majority of your culture then you can move your culture uh, a population of your culture across the border into the next uh little city and it becomes part of your nation but the people there still have the old culture they had um but if you have sort of enough of your power points saved up you can just sort of immediately click and turn them all into your culture and it's it's strange yeah, and it's also weird in, in how one way it is, because, you know, so much of Roman history, later Roman history, was shaped by the fact that they conquered Greece and then they liked a lot of Greek stuff <laughs> and incorporated that into Roman culture. Um, even some of their styles of fighting uh, may have come from some of the Gaulish tribes, if you go back far enough. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So it, Cultural it, it, syncretism, which is like yeah. such a an important classical era thing it's so important and it happens in the entire span of the map of this game which is huge it goes from iberia to india um all the way to the border of bangladesh effectively uh and it's a huge map and lots of interesting things happen in it but new and interesting cultures don't emerge and i don't know that right now the mechanics are there for that to happen like the whole idea of Greco-Buddhism, 
the mechanic by which Buddhism arrived in Greek Bactria, modern Afghanistan, and then evolved its own unique culture based around making Greek style statues of Buddhist figures. That doesn't feel like it happens in this game. No, um, it's weird. Like there's not, and this is the funny thing. Like EU is very good about creating this idea that there are demographic shifts and burgeoning like consciousness among like ethnicities or groups that like previously didn't identify themselves as a distinct group this this is also to the victoria model as well right this idea that uh you know classes have consciousness identities have consciousness uh here you don't get the sense very often that it's more about making sure that all your <laughs> all your po- all your pops in your empire are the same color in the same suit is is how it feels yep. <laughs> and that what you don't get the sense of is that some of these folks could out of your control even while under your flag could themselves just switch back or someone else could be exerting influence nearby that would cause them to switch back or to identify with somebody else more than with you and i think this is this is a really and I and I think this also speaks to maybe why the whole process of let's call it Romanization for because you know predominantly this comes up a lot with Rome comes with every, it comes up with everybody though, but I think it's one of the reasons why it feels unsatisfactory because you don't get the sense of there being this sort of slow acting historical process that you really have limited control over right like that's the, if if you were trying to homogenize your empire in EU congratulations you just set a limit on how big your empire is ever going to be. Like, you just, it, it can't be done. You have to, like, figure out how you're going to navigate this. And here in uh, Imperator, that doesn't really seem to be the case. Uh, and It so, is to a certain extent. Yeah. When I got a really huge empire, I realized after a certain point that there were way better ways to spend my uh, time and political power than... Uh, forcing my governors to civilize or homogenize the provinces I was conquering. It it ended up, at least for me, it ended up being way more efficient to use the civilization methodology um, and build up the infrastructure there so that when they eventually rebelled or got uppity, I could just go and crunch them um, instead of worrying about getting everyone in the world converted to my culture because that was too much of a pain. It was just going to make them rebel eventually. Yeah, the other thing is you can't do that you can do in EU4, but you can't do an Imperator is uh, EU4 has the concept of accepted cultures where it's like, all right, you're not you're not fully in in our, you know, our culture group, but we're going to like consider you to be an honorary member of our culture group, which seems like it would be very useful to have in, in Imperator just because there's so many cultures like I think there's almost as many cultures on the Imperator map, which does not cover the whole world, as there are in the entire world in EU4. Maybe more, even. Though there have to yeah. be as many. I feel like there must yeah. be. They, 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 you have to admire the degree in this game in which they really tried to go into histories and go into archaeological record and find as many distinct 
cultures and culture groups as they could to represent on this game map. I, that is one of the things I was very impressed with and I thought was very immersive about this game. When you look at the map and you look at regions of the game like Italy, where people are thinking of it as a, um, oh yeah, like there are these Etruscan tribes and there's some like other Latin tribes and then there's the Romans and they kind of conquer everything. There are 13 or 14 individual cultures on the Italian peninsula alone in that Latin culture group. Um, and that's really satisfying, right? As yeah, yeah. Playing as Rome to be like, oh, wow, it was an interesting historical moment when they started to homogenize and integrate all these other cultures, even just in their own immediate neighborhood, into their own society. I think, but I do wish there were more of a... Um slow acting process on some more of this like again i just don't like the idea of caesar being able to dial up like damn you know these uh you know these folks in transalpine gaul uh we really just need a few more of them to be romans could you just go and make more of them romans and i mean the process of romanization isn't even that conscious right like a lot of it is we're sending we're you know we're demobilizing troops and giving them plots of land there's direct colonization happening they're occupying forces and all the uh, infrastructure that goes into supporting them and how they change communities around them. Uh, there's Roman go like governance that begins to change uh, the, the shape of places. All this stuff takes time, and it's an iffy and like negotiated process. And to have it just be like, well, you got some, uh, you know, you have some religious points to burn and some uh, oratory point points to burn, uh, so you can just go get this done. Especially because there's a lot of moments in the game where you probably don't have a lot that those that is needed uh that those points are needed for like there's a lot of points where you're like i'm pretty good on tech i'm not like i've either run through a lot of the text that i want uh or i've or i've literally run out of text to research for the moment so now i've got this big bank of points that i can use to do really sweeping social engineering which doesn't even really feel like it makes a great deal of thematic sense and then I think that further maybe makes Roman peace look softer and gentler than necessarily it should, right? This this idea that once, you know, once you've taken and held a position and cleared all the other religions and ethnicities out, places are pretty chill. It's not it's, it's not all fairways and greens, but it it gets things settled down and locked down in a way that like you couldn't do in the classical world, right? That's the thing. Like, borders are porous. Influences are uh, difficult to contain in that way. And this game sort of implies that, that all of that works. I think the other thing that maybe makes the governance thing, you know, some of these aspects of governance a little bit less satisfying is that it also just feels like there's so many fewer specific choices to make about the development of um, individual... Gosh, what's the terminology now? Because this game has provinces, which are these larger macro uh, units. Cities. Yes. It feels like there is less interesting to do with each individual city. Uh, and I'm not sure the macro unit, the province, where you have governors sort of setting broader agendas, I'm not sure that is interesting governance either. And so you have this really, like, godly micro-control over, the, over the, the inner lives of your people. But then if you sort of sit, sit back and, and you think, well, what, what do I as governor 
I as ruler and administrator and bureaucrat want to do with this uh, this this burgeoning empire I've got? The answers rarely feel exciting to me. I I think I disagree to some extent on the provinces themselves not being interesting. I think between between being able to appoint a governor, that decision, what kind of governor policy you want to implement there, which is a second decision, and then how you want to set up your trade routes, what goods you want to bring in there, what kind of bonuses you want to get from those, and why. That, to me, I think created kind of an interesting metagame of like deciding what each province of my empire was going to be about. Um, I think it does kind of lose some of its luster similar to just the fa- the way conquest loses some of its luster once you get to a certain size um like i feel like there's there's like an ideal sized empire around like maybe 5 to 9 provinces where i felt like okay i know these 5 to 9 governors i know what each of their 5 to 9 provinces are supposed to be doing and it feels like i've kind of uh got my my empire working as this sort of well-oiled machine and then eventually you get to a point where you you just don't have the bandwidth to do that. You can't keep track of which governor is which anymore uh, past a certain point. I think that is somewhat true. I think I had – so there's the – for those listening along, there's the cities, which is the little individual map units. And then there's provinces, which are collections mm-hmm. of 10 to 12 or however many of those cities. And then there's regions, which are chunks of uh, collections of provinces that fit – together as a unit that you give a governor to right um right okay so i was talking about regions actually not I, that's what i, I <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think those are the terms and i think those are the terms we should just go ahead and use yeah you're right um, yeah so the the times that i found the governing a province or a region most interesting were generally when i took control of a new area partially and so i would get like this i'd get a new capital there um and it would be sort of the biggest city or whatever in that area or the biggest one I had conquered. And then I would later take a bunch more or I would take a lot of territory nearby. And when you take territory or siege it down, at least in this game, your army automatically just takes a shit ton of slaves. That is just part of this game. Um, they murder some pops that were in that province and they suck up some other ones and they vacuum them and they send a bunch halfway around the world to your capital or just down the road, wherever you're your capital capital is and then they'll often send some to a nearby major city and so sometimes you'll get these previously nowhere'sville provinces that swell to enormous size as cities because all these slaves get sent there all this economic resource um and you end up with these big weird chunks of slave owning land and they're starving to death because there's too many of them um and so you start shuffling them around in that province and you're like, wow, this <laughs> province actually has a lot of X, Y, or Z stone or gems or something you actually want a lot of. And you're like, wow, I could use a ton of horses. So I think I'll start moving all these slaves around and I'll get them and I'll make a shit ton of horses and I'll export all these horses back to my heartland where I want to build my army, but I don't have any horses there. So I can make cavalry there now that I have that trade good. And that mini game of managing the trade goods and moving them around and developing those little cities for those ends was fun to me. I, I liked that quite a bit. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the fact that like the armies are coming back from campaign. They're like, Hey, here's 2000 slaves. And it's like, we don't have enough food. What are we supposed to out oh, there? Yours now the your problem. Bye. 
uh, and that was what happened with my uh my capital in the game i played where I, I built a huge empire based out of southern india um eventually there were just like five or six hundred slave pops in my capital there was nothing i could do with them there was no world where i was going to get enough oratory power or whatever civic power to move them all to more useful places so after a while i was just like fuck it let's just let them starve and that was just <laughs> what i did they just i was like you know they're Strategy just gonna all games. die eventually fuck it i mean we we've spent a lot of time on it but i do feel like the the clicking buttons to convert and move pops is the overall weakest well, uh, element of imperator sucks. right now yeah like Sure. I think it's pretty bad. I also think that, you know, it's 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 one of the weaker parts of a game that otherwise I, I am enjoying quite a bit. Yeah, the whole, um, okay, you can move population units around within a province. Mm -hmm. uh, you move them to the edges of that province, and then you can use the adjacency from that like outlying part of the province to get it over into a neighboring city in a different province. And then you can filter them out. Like it's like, man, I just want to redistribute. There's too many slaves in Rome. All right. There's yeah. just way too many slaves. I need to redistribute them pretty evenly uh, across the Italian peninsula. And to do that is nightmarish. It's weird. It's this game makes it so easy to completely like redefine the uh you know ethnic and religious makeup of huge portions of the world but when it comes to like displacing enslaved people and moving them around suddenly it is the fussiest and hardest administrative task uh in, in the game um it's it's very clunky um and yeah, I just I I ended up having some real massive inefficiencies with that economy because it was so unpleasant to deal with. Um, and yeah, I just and I think that's one reason maybe I started de-emphasizing slavery. Uh, in addition to it feeling kind of icky, I did start to just kind of view it as there's too many of these there's too many of these guys. Like I need to promote them out. And now they can serve as troops and some freemen can become citizens and will make money off commerce. Like that increasingly became a model that I was pursuing uh, because it like, you know, I've got a massive pissed off slave population, justifiably so. Uh, moving them around is just not fun. Uh, so congratulations. It's manumission day. Uh, you're all <laughs> going to become bankers. Uh, and researchers. <laughs> um, now, the thing is, like all that, like the other part of domestic governance, and I think this stuff gets more interesting, is um, in terms of the politics of a nation. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think this game does a very good job of bringing out this notion that the like one of the major advantages of these Mediterranean empires, these more like civilized uh, nations is that their administrative, uh, their government and administrative backbone is basically immortal. That the country has an interest that outlives any one ruler or any one ruling party. Uh, you can set, broad trajectories for the nation and those will 
Like the country can pursue those generation after generation because there are systems that even when whatever the preference of the people, the leaders of a society is, there is a government that adjudicates those differences for the most part and allows the government to continue functioning without everything plunging into uh, you know, civil war or chaos with every with every uh, generational shift. And that hits its limits, but I think it contrasts really strongly and in a way I found really satisfying with the life of politics in the tribes, where basically it's not even like you have a royal family. It is that you have a headman who's picked and the other chiefs respect him and are willing to you know, serve under him as part of the greater nation. But they don't necessarily respect his son. It's not something that passes on that way. Uh, and I think that was a really interesting... Like, I, I had a really involved game with... Um, uh, I, I fumbled this on Waypoint 2. Is the Trevari? Which... Where are they located? Uh, Moselle region, Germany. Trevorum. Oh. Uh, um, that's surprisingly a classical Germanic tribe that I don't know off the top of my yeah. head how you pronounce it. I can't remember the, the, the Latin <laughs> version of them. But, so I was playing yeah, as a, uh-huh. uh, like Trevororum. Yeah. And yeah. what... Uh, what I encountered there was that I had a really strong leader, a really effective leader. And then the problem was I had three clan chiefs beneath me who were all younger. Uh, and once my leader passed, they all believed they should be running the show. And so the, the, the dynamic I had throughout this game was that no sooner would I get rule consolidated under a ruler then there would be time for a generational shift and then we'd be plunged back into some sort of civil war or just so much threat of civil war. This is something I really like about this game. Characters don't just go bad and turn on you. You see them winding up. You see them starting mm-hmm. to flirt with the, you know, you, you, you see Jan Cassius with that lean and hungry look, right? Yeah, you do. And that is actually a really cool thing where you're like, oh man, this person... They aren't happy, and that could mean they're just kind of sullen and pissed off, but still, like, towing the line. Or it could mean they're about to start a civil war, and you genuinely don't know until you're basically, like, on the on the, on the verge of a, an actual and, civil war. Yeah, until the game literally, like, you see that they could start a civil war, but you don't know that one's going to start until the game is like, hey, civil war in six months, get ready. Yeah, well, and I also found it really interesting that they hit that point between like zero and 30% where they're still loyal to the concept of the tribe, but they're not loyal to the chief anymore. So you lose control of their armies, which, uh, you know, if you're involved in a war, they're just, they might stay home. They might go off and do their own thing, which was kind of interesting, especially when you're playing in a larger empire. Cause it's like, okay, I've started this campaign. I don't necessarily know where my lower general or my lower loyalty generals are going to go, uh, or what kind of objectives they're going to pursue, which feels appropriate for the era. That you just kind of have these wild cards with you know an entire legion under their command that are off. I, I have no idea what he's doing, but he's he's going to go pursue his own goals that are still technically the goals of the state because he hasn't started a civil war yet. But uh, I liked that that element of the loyalty system. Yeah, I think it creates a really interesting 
um, tightrope you have to walk, and you're sort of desperately trying to get people back on side, and who can you shore up? Uh, it's also fun to be looking up, like, okay, who are this guy's, where's this guy's family? Like, yeah. <laughs> does he have any, do they have any, like, buddies or, like, cousins who are governing provinces or leading major legions? Because that's another thing that I'm not sure, I actually didn't figure this out, and you, you let me know. Does familial loyalty change the way, like, overall loyalty is calculated? So, for instance, I have a member of the Claudii family uh, who's a powerful Legion commander and is plummeting down to 0% loyalty. They're pissed off. Uh, Say they've got one provincial governor uh, who's like a brother, and then, uh, like, their grandfather... Uh, is sort of an aging general with a different legion somewhere else. And both of those characters have high loyalty. But if the disloyal family member creates a civil war, are those characters more or less likely to stay loyal? Because in general, what I saw was waves of disloyal characters sort of defecting at once. But I couldn't work out whether or not, like, you know, does one bad family patriarch mean the entire family is politically unreliable? I think that that can happen sometimes. I I think that if they're part of that family, they are more likely to go. And if it's the family leader, I think they're the whole family almost every time will go, even if they're loyal. But if it's just someone else in the family, I'm not sure the family always goes. And this is hard for me to say because I think my longest game was played as a monarchy. And that's when I had more civil wars. So it's I'm not sure if it's different in the Republic. Yeah, I, I know that. I know that um, if you're if you are a consul, your loyals or your your loyals, your relatives are more likely to be loyal. Um, right. But I don't know if it actually tracks loyalty between non-leader characters. I actually have no idea if that's a mechanic or not. Well, I do know that if a civil war starts, basically every time, everyone who's disloyal will join the side of the civil war. Right. Because so, like, you can have. Uh, playing as a monarchy I would have times where I have like a handful of weirdos who want the throne and then actually some <laughs> governor would start a civil war because the governor's like hey I've got a giant army and a huge economic base and I'm really rich why not start a civil war uh, yeah. and then they do and then all the pretenders to the throne would be like well if we're having a civil war I'm not on the you know the king's side so <laughs> It is interesting that it is kind of missing that element that CK2 has where rebels will kind of group themselves into factions with a common interest. It's more just like the only common interest is screw the king and anybody who's down with that is down with us. Right. Whereas like uh, in Rome playing as a republic, I saw much more sort of strange bedfellows historically uh, not accurate, but truthy feeling um where like some discontented populists would team up with some angry gauls and they'd be like yeah fuck it why not let's have a civil war and they would all try and ruin the country uh and that is that felt like real room where you get these really odd political bedfellows who are just who are mad for different reasons but they're both mad so they team up to overthrow the establishment yeah the um the civil war so the Civil Wars are especially destabilizing here because it certainly feels like it's easier for other nations to start 
dogpiling in those situations that is in EU, for instance, right? Like civil yeah. wars are a problem in EU, but what you'll have, what, what I've seen happen a lot with civil wars in uh, Imperator is this notion that the minute a, a rebel faction has split the country and taken a huge swath of it into their, into their rebellion and they control those cities, uh, neighboring countries can now make war on those rebels and it's without reference to me. It doesn't affect their relationship with me. It doesn't engage with my diplomacy, in di- diplomacy at all. So even though those are my provinces and they're just under civil war right now, what I'm what you see a lot and it's pretty devastating is uh, other countries will start just like swarming the rebels and closing out peace deals with the rebels that you're stuck with. Like by the time you beat the rebels. Uh, the rebels have ceded away like large portions of your country. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why in civil wars you get that instant occupation thing. As soon as you occupy yeah. a province during civil war that belongs to the other faction, it's not like it's occupied and you have to make a peace deal with the rebels. It just becomes yours again instantly. And you can do that on rebel-occupied rebel provinces that are occupied by a third party. You can go in and just take those instantly. Yeah. Um that being said, uh, so I found those those politics I found really volatile among tribesmen. Uh, yeah, monarchies as well. Like if you're playing uh, one of the um, you know successor states to Alexander, uh, you're going to be dealing with a lot of pretenders, and uh, you will doubtless encounter again and again the problem where you've got a good king, a bad heir, and an awesome pretender. Uh, and yeah. you're kind of left wondering like if there's a way you can maybe swing that. I don't recommend trying it, but you know, if you want to be that power <laughs> user, uh, you can you can try to sort of you know we've we've all been there and try to sort of kick things one way or the other, uh, but it's really tough to get a handle on, uh, particularly as uh, you know a tribal leader, because you can just have like it's constant with these uh, generational changeovers where it's very rare where I had a clear handover that everyone was as happy under the new guy as the old. Um, what I didn't see was like a really awesome Roman Civil War, uh, and I know, like, I think Rowan last I checked was still trying to get one going. And did either of you have any really good civil wars as uh, Rome or Rome-like power? I did have a pretty significant civil war. Well, I had a I had a notable civil war as Rome. Um, it was. It was like two two powerful characters and then a couple not so important ones. The thing is at that point I had I had shored up my power base so much that I did not feel like they were really an existential threat. It was more like a large provincial revolt in EU4, like it was something I had to go deal with. It was something I definitely had to spend a significant amount of time and resources on. Um but it wasn't like you know, oh shit, if I don't get moving, I'm going to lose the country. It was more like, well, this is going to be, this is going to be what my life is going to be about for the next, you know, five or six years. But, you know, it, it was like a World War II situation. Like if you look at the numbers on paper, uh, the second the Soviets enter the war, it's it was basically over. That's kind of how it felt. It's like, all right, like they're going to put up a fight, but it's not necessarily going to be a fight that's going to threaten the entire empire, um, which is how, 
with the exception of like that that early stage for tribals that's how most civil wars felt to me like they felt like something that's going to deplete my resources it might halt my expansion for a while because i'm going to lose a lot of manpower but there weren't a lot of cases where i felt like a civil war was an existential threat i uh i i pretty much agree they generally aren't I had a couple civil wars that felt like speed bumps where it's like this guy and his 10,000 followers are going to defect. They're going to start a civil war and take some territory and then they're going to get pounced on by the remaining 80,000 members of my army and murder. Um, But I did have a couple really big ones and I saw, so the one that I had was playing as Rome was the worst one I had crippled me for probably 20 years of in-game time um where i had a badass general who had military stat like 13 um which made him essentially an unstoppable god his army could be half the size of yours and he would win every time general Um, skill plays a much bigger role in this than in most other paradox games it's huge it's very uh feels good to the time period right like your hannibals and Mm -hmm. your caesars absolutely lose they don't lose unless you just destroy them from every direction with a much larger army. Um, so I had a guy go rogue with a big army, lots of heavy infantry and heavy cavalry, really nasty, um, and took, I think, three regions, like half-size regions with him. And it took me a very long time to get that back. He took like most of southern Gaul, um, and I had to march up there with basically all the rest of my armies and grind him down province by province. Um, and that was pretty harsh. Uh, but it was never, it was basically a foregone conclusion. I was going to win, but I was going to lose a shit ton of soldiers winning it. Yeah. I just never had, I don't know. It's, it's weird. You're, you're, you're sort of must be nice. (laughs) 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 Uh, I was going to say like, I know it's unfair to an extent you're asking a game to recreate some really specific uh, historical circumstances and outcomes that were themselves deviations from a lot of the systems they'd been situated in. Right. Um, and so if you're making a game about the rise of Rome to, uh, you know, a Republican empire that then transforms into, uh, you know, a, a an imperium, uh, then for the most of that game, you're not going to have a ton of Caesars and Pompeys and Sullas and, uh, you know, Marius is cropping up, uh, to do, to do battle at the same time. I'm playing Rome. That's kind of what I'm here for. Right. I'm kind yeah. of yeah. looking forward to that moment. And I think there's, so there's, I think one problem that this game has is that if you look at what drives a major civil war in this period, it's not loyalty of individual regiments. Which is what this thing is basically saying. Like, you have armies, and generals are put over those armies, and then the cohorts that are a part of that army become loyal to that general. And that's kind of a cool thing. You realize, like, damn, this entire legion is no longer really Rome's. Like, they're this guy's legion. And I can't transfer them out from under his command. Uh, they are now stuck with him. I can't disband them uh, because he's not going to let that happen. And so I just have to sit here with this with this general with a really powerful uh, army and hope he stay, stays loyal. Okay, so far, so cool. Problem is, for a lot of this game, 
the stacking limit, the the, the supply yeah. limit on the spaces means you can't have these massive elephantine armies uh, wandering around the, the, the map. Like, in general, for a huge portion of this game, uh, 12,000 troops was about my standard issue. Like, that was, that was my legion size, right? That was the smallest tactical, that was the largest tactical unit. Uh, yeah. That I could concern myself with, because beyond that, there's just too many provinces where you're where you're taking just massive attrition from having too large a stack. The problem then becomes, if each of those individual stacks has the risk of becoming loyal to just one commander, I don't really care if twelve thousand dudes, or say there's a really good commander who I end up giving a special command to, twenty four thousand troops, pretty huge army. I still don't care. That they are personally loyal. That doesn't actually move the needle on the scale of the strength of my empire. What you have when, when we're talking about, like, you know, uh, Mar- like Marius's troops turning, uh, you know, turning against Rome or Sulla, or uh, any anything that happens with uh, Caesar following the, the Gallic Wars, it's not individual legions that are crossing lines. It is that entire armies in the field are crossing lines, right? It's like Eisenhower has decided he's going to come back and rule the United States. And this game doesn't have a mechanism for doing that. Like if you send a bunch of like legionary leaders off to conquer a different territory, they don't then become some kind of like band of brothers who are like, ah, we've all worked together and we fought the same enemies and we have this like common purpose and shared history. They're just like, you know, a half dozen randos out there who all have legions that may be loyal to them, but that certainly doesn't mean they're going to be able to command the loyalty of an entire army the way that right. Caesar, when he was like, hey, fuck it, let's do this, had suddenly multiple legions and their entire command staff at his disposal. Right. I completely agree. I think that's one of the issues. And it's sad that the the mechanic is also so easy to neuter, right? After a certain point, you just realize you can detach the guy from his army and just give him one unit and then march him around with the rest of the army when it's not wartime and then when it is wartime you just kind of put him back on his army and send him off to fight and maybe a f- two or three more units during that war become loyal to him and then you split oh, him you up mean again afterwards if, if they're not already loyal yeah Oh, okay, I was thinking you figured out a way to break the game that I wasn't aware of yet. <laughs> or, or it's even worse, you can yeah. remove a guy from command and then put him in command of something else a year later, right? Across, oh, yeah. the, across the globe from the units that are loyal to him, and they'll just stay over there. Yeah, I think part of the thing with the, the whole Caesar story is they kind of want you to be Caesar. There's there's they sort do. of this this path of reforms you can pass and decisions you can take that kind of set you up to be Caesar, which from talking to, to Johan Anderson, the, the, the game director on this game, that's kind of what they were going for. Cause when I said, Hey, is the civil war system going to model like the, the, the triumvirate? Uh, he, he gave me an answer that was along the lines of like, yeah, if you want to play as Caesar, you can be Caesar where basically you, you start the civil war from the other side and right. it's the Senate loyalists that are actually treated as the rebels, which I didn't actually get far enough to see all of that. Um, but uh, that seems to be why there's not like a mechanic for Caesar to show up as a guy in your empire who's going to give you a hard time. Right. Yeah. You, you get more Catalines than Caesar, right? Like you get a yeah. guy and his mm-hmm. like shitty 13,000 peasants and you slaughter them. <laughs> 
and you get to be Cicero, and then later you get to be Caesar. Right. Yeah, I, I but I yeah I just didn't have like as the Senate I just never had that pull to like damn what I really need to do is just put everything in the hands of these like two or three characters and are you serious like, you never had that I never needed to I like, had a I had a console who had uh nine or higher in every stat and I was like this motherfucker is emperor now like <laughs> I want this guy to be around for the next sixty years of his life I want all these points and all this power like all right we're we're gonna have a dictator and he's gonna be emperor okay but see i think this is the other thing i never i rarely felt in this game like i was actually dealing with threats on the scale that required that level of response i think this goes a little bit to um, you're right ai doesn't seem to have a super good instinct for how to build a durable empire in this game um like i'm sitting there like i'm watching carthage and i'm just like come on do something uh, Carthage struggles mightily to become yeah. a major Mediterranean power. How like it, how different does Rome history look like? Uh, how different does it look if Carthage doesn't become like a major threat, literally uh, just across Sicily from them, uh, just at you know the other end of a logistical chain connecting the two countries? It looks pretty different. Like this is one of the things that pushes, uh, you know countries in this period to undertake massive reforms uh to really uproot a lot of uh entrenched structures within the country is this idea that well we have to do this in order to keep pace with some kind of rival or to tackle some new challenge uh as rome i mean there's even as other countries but especially as rome rome feels like they have such a glide path to superpower status or that's how it feels. Then I play other countries and I'm like, damn, like the Roman AI just sucks. They're like, did you just lose Rome to the Etruscans? Turns out. Yeah, somehow they did. Uh, but if you're playing as Rome, it is really easy to become massively powerful at a rate that nobody else nearby seems to be matching you. And so, yeah, I had special characters passing through my hands but I never had a situation as Rome where I was like, if I don't keep, you know, a nine, eight, seven, eight, like commander, then I'm really screwed. That never happened for me. I agree. I, I was making those decisions because I wanted to snowball bigger and harder and faster. Yeah. Because there's and not it, much else to do. It's kind of sad. That's yeah. the game, right? Get bigger, conquer things, get better and faster, conquering more things. Um, I think the empire game in this is interesting and in that it's actually it, to me, at least it feels different from other EU type games where I wanted to juggle large wars on multiple fronts where I was like, I'm going to be fighting more than one war at a time with more than one set of armies. Um, whereas in other paradox games, you avoid that at all costs of hearts of iron four aside. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like, um, I think the way I described it when we were talking about it offline is it, it feels kind of like they took EU4 and then they let each of the other Paradox games like uh, write one track for the next album. Nah. <laughs> like they had, yeah, Crusader Kings wrote a song for our next album. Uh, Victoria 2 wrote a song for our next album. Um, Hearts of Iron 4 with like the unit automation and stuff. But they it's it doesn't have the depth in any of those areas of any of those other games, which 
kind of makes it feel a little bloated and disjointed sometimes, um, especially when you're not at war, uh, which is, you know, not to say that I'm I'm not enjoying it, but I guess the, the, the kindest way to say it is I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with uh, updates and DLC with those systems. Yeah, I mean, same, because I think it needs <laughs> a lot more on those fronts in order to create... Uh, much pressure to keep things interesting uh, because it just seems like I think it's always been a bit of a problem but I think in general uh, you know EU is at a point where AI nations play pretty well they will become big and powerful and strong they'll also screw up and like overextend and collapse but like by and large you know strong nations historically become strong nations or have a good chance of becoming strong nations in uh you know in the eu4 model here it's like i am the only literally i am the only player it feels very solitaire because nobody else seems to have a long game in mind maybe this is because it's missing the objective system from eu4 that sort of puts you on a track that will turn into a coherent strategy but i'm looking around and i'm like am i the only one who is able to like plan on a 10 year time scale here? Am I the only country here that's capable of pursuing a long-term like conquest agenda uh, against an entire region? I think so. Uh, I, I think it's just not really in the AI at this point. It just isn't very good at that. The to, to get a big nasty rival enemy, I had to play in South India and trap myself on the other side of the Moria empire from the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> so that by the time, like, I geared up and I fought the Moria and I conquered the Moria. Um, Thrace had somehow snowballed and owned all of Anatolia and Greece and was a horrifying monster. Right. And that was cool. I got to fight them. I had fun. They they need lucky nations or something, or even like the difficulty settings that they recently added to Hearts of Iron, where you can like, you know, buff Germany if you're playing as the allies. They need a way to like, you can buff, buff Rome if you're playing as a tribe or buff Carthage if you're playing as Rome. Like they, they need some way to... Uh, tip the scales a little bit to create credible rivals a little bit more reliably. And I don't know, maybe aggressive expansion goes away too quickly in this game too. There's a lot oh. of buffs you can take to yeah, diminish it. But it's like, so I, easy to ignore. This I disagree. I don't think it goes away. Once you get to the sort of giant empire stage, it's like there's nothing to do between waiting for aggressive expansion to tick down. No, but I, I'm not saying that. sit there and stare at it. No, like I agree, it does diminish uh, slowly. Although again, the way I played was very much like uh, expand like a forest uh, was was kind of my model. Until eventually I started getting bored and just being like, you know, screw it, let's just annex all these guys. Well, that war with these guys, let's annex them too. Uh, but no, what I what I mean is, I would just wait that clock out, and usually it only took a few years of like just sort of running at speed five and investing some money in development and uh, converting a bunch of pops. And then it was like nobody remembered that I was massively like evil and imperialist. <laughs> like it was, it was like nobody like I was like, boy, the heat's really they'll, on me. They'll stack up over time if you go to war over and over and don't conquer certain people right like if you leave someone on your border for a really long time you'll see it stack up and be like minus 300 opinion from aggressive expansion um but the thing where you can just conquer those people and then that number just goes away after you spend some points to convert them to your culture that's not so great yeah and 
I don't know. That that for me is the probably the big disappointment is that a game there needs to be more to a game like this than just sort of expanding and expanding and expanding. There either needs to be significant pushback where that game Military Conquest feels like a genuine battle to pull it off, right? That you are actually, you know, yeah. damn, I am the conqueror of Gaul. And that means something. In general, it doesn't in this game. Uh, it, it very much feels like, for the most part, when I've decided to go to a war, it's largely under my terms, and its outcome will likely be a foregone conclusion. And the wars themselves, therefore, don't have a lot of drama. There might be a couple dramatic battles. I had a pretty spectacular civil war uh, blow the hell up, and and with the uh, you know with the German tribes along with in Trevorum. But the uh, in general, these weren't like exciting pitched battles that I was fighting in the wars. And so then, if the conquest game is beginning to pale, uh, well then, what what's fun for me to engage with uh, now that I am a sort of sated imperial power? Uh, is there something fun to do if I'm not going to just try to conquer... Uh, the entire Mediterranean and uh, Western Europe? Is there something cool for me to do if I forego that and uh, just become like a smaller regional power the way you can do that in other games? That you can have really fun games in Paradox Strategy games by playing second tier, even third tier powers. And I'm not sure I found that here either. And so it's a weird thing where this is a very pleasant game to play. I enjoyed stomping my legions all over you know, Europe and North Africa and all that. Um, but it kind of felt like for a paradox game, kind of like empty calories. Uh, I'm really reminded of hearts of iron four at launch in that respect where it's clear they have a, an idea for how this game should play, but it requires almost boutique bespoke precise attention where they customize each country to have its own unique experience. Um, in a way that CK2 and EU4, which they're, with their much more general sets of mechanics, didn't require at first, where you did feel like you could pick most of the nations on the map and you would have an interesting game. Um, there are just there's just a lot of nations on the map in this one where you're like, yeah, there's no reason to ever play as them. Yeah, it, it is definitely a thing where you know, and we talked about this when we did the episode about Rome as a setting. At, at a certain point, I feel like Rome kind of stops being interesting as an agent, but it remains interesting as a setting. Um, and I think any any nation you play in Imperator, if you play them for long enough, is going to end up in the same situation. I have a big game going right now where I started as the Arverni, where it's already starting to feel that way. Like, it's just going to be... It's going to be the Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire started in Gaul instead of Italy. Um just because of the, the directions that the game mechanics pull you um, to where, yeah, I feel like if once you get past a certain point, this game needs to be able to adapt to the fact that you are a global or maybe not global, but you're, you're a hegemon of the known world in a way that you very rarely can be until the very, very late game in like CK2 or EU4. Um, and it needs to shift focus to being about, your country as a setting and what is going on that is interesting within that setting because Roman history is super interesting, but past a certain point, it starts becoming interesting because of what's happening in the Roman empire, not necessarily what Rome is doing foreign policy wise. 
Um, and that's that's the way forward I think they need to take to make you know the later parts of the game as interesting as maybe the earlier parts. Yeah, it's um, it's a strange thing because taken as a whole, I liked my time with this game. Uh, it probably has it as a it has an extremely gentle learning curve. If you're familiar with any paradox games at all, there's there's a point of entry. Uh, you know, pretty much anywhere you look. Uh, there's some fun character in the game. Uh, you know, some of the sense of senatorial politics. Uh, it gets a little repetitive, but there, there there's a fun sense of there being politics within your tribe, within your you know within your country. Um, and again, there is kind of this this cool sense of you know the world transforming as these empires expand uh, and and collapse, but. If I stop, like, if I ever stop expanding, if I ever stop thinking about what's the next little piece of map that I'm going to gobble up and convert to my, uh, you know, to my, to my flag, to my color, um, there's not a lot to hold my interest here. And I think that is, I think that is a disappointing outcome for a Paradox game. Um, and I think it's also a really disappointing one uh just in the context of i'm not sure we should have like like i really don't want 4x games and that's how this feels in a lot of cases right not necessarily grand strategy like literally this loop feels very very uh very 4xy in some ways i don't necessarily want one that automatically turns me into uh you know a imperialist atrocity committing warmonger for no other reason than that that's the only thing there is to really do in the game that's that's where the fun is um that increasingly sits poorly with me uh in addition to it being kind of a a dull experience when you're doing anything but that the core loop of just murdering the shit out of other countries yeah I, I think you're right. I, I think it's disappointing as well, which is funny to say about a game that I know I'm going to happily play a couple hundred more hours of. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then we'll probably come back to for a hundred hours every time they release an expansion for the next four or five years. Like, realistically, I think that's what's going to happen with this game in me. Yeah. And it's strange to... uh, It's funny to be able to air this many grievances about a game that I know I'm going to have this much fun with. Um. And I think that part of that is that that is one of that's part of how games are developed at Paradox Development Studio. They are iterative. They yeah. work over time. They make a fun, a pretty fun core game, which is what this is. Yes. Um, when I compare this to something like Total War Warhammer at release, I have more fun with this because okay. this has sort of obvious features that I want to have. Yeah, I might not play as every nation on the map, but I want to be able to pick a minor nation and play as it right there are interesting mechanics to do with most of the sets of core people you're going to play as right the the skeletal basics of being a monarchy are there there yeah. are marriages with other countries and there are inheritances and things like that right the republican stuff is there the tribal stuff is a little weaker than the rest of it but it's also there um but at the same time when I run up against the things that I found frustrating in this game or the mechanics that were simply not fun to interact with, they, their sharp edges, they're not dull. 
they they hurt. Yeah, and it is true. Like you can see how expansions down the road could be. Uh, like you can see how some of these things will begin to address. Could address some of the things we raised here, right? Like if this game gets around to okay, well, you know, here here we're gonna have a. Uh, sort of late Roman Empire, uh, you know, period expansion. And we've introduced new, uh, you know, new mechanics for de-Romanization and ethnic, you know, ethnic drift. Um, yeah, you'd which see there's that- a little bit of. It, it's in the game a little bit already. If you play in um, the Bactrian region, if you play in India, there's a mid-game event where uh, the Yuezhi people start to migrate in from China. And it's cool. It's a very yeah. cool bit. So, I mean, that stuff, you can sort of see places where uh, some of these gaps could be filled in over time. I hope they will be. Um, but, yeah, right now this feels very much like a pretty good, um, like, grand, like, strategic level Roman era war game in some ways. More than a Roman era uh, grand strategy game, you know, to draw that distinction. Everything yeah. everything points toward going out, conquering territory. Uh, subjugating it and then continuing on uh all the other stuff i'm looking for for a rome game or an ancient world game uh kind of feels underdeveloped or there's just places that maybe yeah there is that little bit of um you know coming soon uh signage around (laughs) around the place where it feels like a mechanic should be Um, yeah and you know, to their credit, I do want to say, given that, you know, development time is always limited, I do kind of like that they laid a broad base of mechanics that are maybe a little underdeveloped feeling right now, but that can be built upon in the future, as opposed to, you know, if they had hi- hyper-focused on one or two things, and then there's a DLC later down the line that adds character interactions, and it's like, okay, is this going to be another repeat of Estates? where it's going to have to go stay in its own corner forever because it was added as a DLC feature. And so most people, you know, we have to assume that some people aren't going to have access to it or whatever. Um, I I think it was, it's a decent, it was a decent strategy knowing what they are probably going to do with it in the future. Good God, the score Fraser gave this game. (laughs) A 92 Fraser. Fraser liked it. (laughs) Well, no, we determined that because I gave it an 8 in my review, and we determined that the 12-point difference is only because he doesn't give a shit about tribes, and I only give a shit about tribes. Yeah. So that's why uh, yeah, that's why I specifically knocked 12 points off, just because I'm a Teuton fanboy. Yeah. But, yeah. All right, well, well hopefully, hopefully the Teuton expansion will, uh, will will come with a with a host of new mechanics and, and story events. Uh, but in the meantime, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, this episode was produced by Alicia Akampora. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, that also has further information about our super secret Discord server, uh, where from time to time we talk about strategy games and even play them. <laughs> uh, I did. I did have a fun little game uh, with some of our uh, backers playing a game of Imperator and um, descending pretty ruthlessly on on one of our backers uh, as his Rome attempted <laughs> to conquer uh, uh, Mesopia and Tarentum. 
that I'd quietly guaranteed much earlier in the game as Macedon. <laughs> and oh, it was fun to just like, uh, yeah, to just descend uh, like uh, sort of, you know, Ride of the Valkyries, basically, as a Macedonian army appeared in the boot, the heel of the boot, and uh, just laid waste. It was a good time was had by by me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, uh, for John, for TJ, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.